Chapter Twenty Seventh of *The Heart of Midlothian* by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. What see you there that hath so cowarded and chased your blood out of appearance, Henry the Fifth? We are under the necessity of returning to Edinburgh where the general assembly was now sitting it is well known that some scottish nobleman is usually deputed as high commissioner to represent the person of the king in this convocation that he has allowances for the purpose of maintaining a certain outward show and solemnity and supporting the hospitality of the representative of majesty whoever are distinguished by rank or office in or near the capital usually attend the morning levies of the lord commissioner and walk with him in procession to the place where the assembly meets the nobleman who held this office chanced to be particularly connected with sir george staunton and it was in his train that he ventured to tread the high street of edinburgh for the first time since the fatal night of porteus's execution walking at the right hand of the representative of sovereignty covered with lace and embroidery and with all the paraphernalia of wealth and rank the handsome though wasted figure of the english stranger attracted all eyes who could have recognized in a form so aristocratic the plebeian convict that disguised in the rags of madge wildfire had led the formidable rioters to their destined revenge there was no possibility that this could happen even if any of his ancient acquaintances a race of men whose lives are so brief had happened to survive the span commonly allotted to evil-doers besides the whole affair had long fallen asleep with the angry passions in which it originated nothing is more certain than that persons known to have had a share in that formidable riot and to have fled from scotland on that account had made money abroad returned to enjoy it in their native country and lived and died undisturbed by the law the forbearance of the magistrate was in these instances wise certainly and just for what good impression could be made on the public mind by punishment when the memory of the offence was obliterated and all that was remembered was the recent inoffensive or perhaps exemplary conduct of the offender sir george staunton might therefore tread the scene of his former audacious exploits free from the apprehension of the law or even of discovery or suspicion but with what feelings his heart that day throbbed must be left to those of the reader to imagine it was an object of no common interest which had brought him to encounter so many painful remembrances in consequence of jeanie's letter to lady staunton transmitting the confession he had visited the town of carlisle and had found archdeacon fleming still alive 
by whom that confession had been received this reverend gentleman whose character stood deservedly very high he so far admitted into his confidence as to own himself the father of the unfortunate infant which had been spirited away by madge wildfire representing the intrigue as a matter of juvenile extravagance on his own part for which he was now anxious to atone by tracing if possible what had become of the child after some recollection of the circumstances the clergyman was able to call to memory that the unhappy woman had written a letter to george staunton esq younger rectory willingham by grantham that he had forwarded it to the address accordingly and that it had been returned with a note from the rev mr staunton rector of willingham saying that he knew no such person as him to whom the letter was addressed as this had happened just at the time when george had for the last time absconded from his father's house to carry off effie he was at no loss to account for the cause of the resentment under the influence of which his father had disowned him this was another instance in which his ungovernable temper had occasioned his misfortune had he remained at willingham but a few days longer he would have received margaret murdickson's letter in which were exactly described the person and haunts of the woman annapole belzu to whom she had parted with the infant it appeared that meg murdickson had been induced to make this confession less from any feelings of contrition than from the desire of obtaining through george staunton or his father's means protection and support for her daughter madge her letter to george staunton said that while the writer lived her daughter would have needed not from anybody and that she would never have meddled in these affairs except to pay back the ill that george had done to her and hers but she was to die and her daughter would be destitute and without reason to guide her she had lived in the world long enough to know that people did nothing for nothing so she had told george staunton all he could wish to know about his ween in hopes he would not see the demented young creature he had ruined perish for want as for her motives for not telling them sooner she had a long account to reckon for in the next world and she would reckon for that too the clergyman said that meg had died in the same desperate state of mind occasionally expressing some regret about the child which was lost but oftener sorrow that the mother had not been hanged her mind at once a chaos of guilt rage and apprehension for her daughter's future safety that instinctive feeling of parental anxiety which she had in common with the she-wolf and lioness being the last shade of kindly affection that occupied a breast equally savage the melancholy catastrophe of madge wildfire was occasioned by her taking the confusion of her mother's execution as affording an opportunity of leaving the workhouse 
to which the clergyman had sent her and presenting herself to the mob in their fury to perish in the way we have already seen when dr fleming found the convict's letter was returned from lincolnshire he wrote to a friend in edinburgh to inquire into the fate of the unfortunate girl whose child had been stolen and was informed by his correspondent that she had been pardoned and that with all her family she had retired to some distant part of scotland or left the kingdom entirely and here the matter rested until at sir george staunton's application the clergyman looked out and produced margaret murdickson's returned letter and the other memoranda which he had kept concerning the affair whatever might be sir george staunton's feelings in ripping up this miserable history and listening to the tragical fate of the unhappy girl whom he had ruined he had so much of his ancient wilfulness of disposition left as to shut his eyes on everything save the prospect which seemed to open itself of recovering his son it was true it would be difficult to produce him without telling much more of the history of his birth and the misfortunes of his parents than it was prudent to make known but let him once be found and being found let him but prove worthy of his father's protection and many ways might be fallen upon to avoid such risk sir george staunton was at liberty to adopt him as his heir if he pleased without communicating the secret of his birth or an act of parliament might be obtained declaring him legitimate and allowing him the name and arms of his father he was indeed already a legitimate child according to the law of scotland by the subsequent marriage of his parents wilful in everything sir george's sole desire now was to see his son even should his recovery bring with it a new series of misfortunes as dreadful as those which followed on his being lost but where was the youth who might eventually be called to the honours and estates of this ancient family on what heath was he wandering and shrouded by what mean disguise did he gain his precarious bread by some petty trade by menial toil by violence or by theft these were questions on which sir george's anxious investigations could obtain no light many remembered that annapole elzu wandered through the country as a beggar and fortune-teller or spa-wife some remembered that she had been seen with an infant in seventeen thirty seven or seventeen thirty eight but for more than ten years she had not travelled that district and that she had been heard to say she was going to a distant part of scotland of which country she was a native to scotland therefore came sir george staunton having parted with his lady at glasgow and his arrival at edinburgh happened to coincide with the sitting of the general assembly of the kirk his acquaintance with the nobleman who held the office of lord high commissioner forced him more into public than suited either his views or inclinations at the public table of this nobleman 
sir george staunton was placed next to a clergyman of respectable appearance and well-bred though plain demeanour whose name he discovered to be butler it had been no part of sir george's plan to take his brother-in-law into his confidence and he had rejoiced exceedingly in the assurances he received from his wife that mrs butler the very soul of integrity and honour had never suffered the account he had given of himself at willingham rectory to transpire even to her husband but he was not sorry to have an opportunity to converse with so near a connection without being known to him and to form a judgment of his character and understanding he saw much and heard more to raise butler very high in his opinion he found he was generally respected by those of his own profession as well as by the laity who had seats in the assembly he had made several public appearances in the assembly distinguished by good sense candour and ability and he was followed and admired as a sound and at the same time an eloquent preacher this was all very satisfactory to sir george staunton's pride which had revolted at the idea of his wife's sister being obscurely married he now began on the contrary to think the connection so much better than he expected that if it should be necessary to acknowledge it in consequence of the recovery of his son it would sound well enough that lady staunton had a sister who in the decayed state of the family had married a scottish clergyman high in the opinion of his countrymen and a leader in the church it was with these feelings that when the lord high commissioner's company broke up sir george staunton under pretence of prolonging some inquiries concerning the constitution of the church of scotland requested butler to go home to his lodgings in the lawn market and drink a cup of coffee butler agreed to wait upon him providing sir george would permit him in passing to call at a friend's house where he resided and make his apology for not coming to partake her tea they proceeded up the high street entered the crames and passed the begging-box placed to remind those at liberty of the distresses of the poor prisoners sir george paused there one instant and next day a twenty-pound note was found in that receptacle for public charity when he came up to butler again he found him with his eyes fixed on the entrance of the tolbooth and apparently in deep thought that seems a very strong door said sir george by way of saying something it is so sir said butler turning off and beginning to walk forward but it was my misfortune at one time to see it prove greatly too weak at this moment looking at his companion he asked him whether he felt himself ill and sir george staunton admitted that he had been so foolish as to eat ice which sometimes disagreed with him with kind officiousness that would not be gainsaid and ere he could find out where he was going butler hurried sir george into the friend's house near to the prison in which he himself had lived since he came to town being indeed 
no other than that of our old friend bartolin saddletree in which lady staunton had served a short novitiate as a shopmaid this recollection rushed on her husband's mind and the blush of shame which it excited overpowered the sensation of fear which had produced his former paleness good mrs saddletree however bustled about to receive the rich english baronet as the friend of mr butler and requested an elderly female in a black gown to sit still in a way which seemed to imply a wish that she would clear the way for her betters in the meanwhile understanding the state of the case she ran to get some cordial waters sovereign of course in all cases of faintishness whatsoever during her absence her visitor the female in black made some progress out of the room and might have left it altogether without particular observation had she not stumbled at the threshold so near sir george staunton that he in point of civility raised her and assisted her to the door mrs porteous is turned very doited now poor body said mrs saddletree as she returned with her bottle in her hand she is no so old but she got a sore back cast with the slaughter of her husband ye had some trouble about that job mr butler i think sir to sir george ye had better drink out the hall glass for to my eye ye look worse than when ye came in and indeed he grew as pale as a corpse on recollecting who it was that his arm had so lately supported the widow whom he had so large a share in making such it is a prescribed job that case of porteous now said old saddletree who was confined to his chair by the gout clean prescribed and out of date i am not clear of that neighbour said plumdamus for i have heard them say twenty years should run and this is but the fifty-one porteous's mob was in thirty-seven ye'll no teach me law i think neighbour me that has four gone please and might have had fourteen an it hadna been the good wife i tell ye if the foremost of the porteous mob were standing there where that gentleman stands the king's advocate wouldna meddle with him it falls under the negative prescription hold your din carls said mrs saddletree and let the gentleman sit down and get a dish of comfortable tea but sir george had had quite enough of their conversation and butler at his request made an apology to mrs saddletree and accompanied him to his lodgings here they found another guest awaiting sir george staunton's return this was no other than our reader's old acquaintance ratcliffe this man had exercised the office of turnkey with so much vigilance acuteness and fidelity that he gradually rose to be governor or captain of the tolbooth and it is yet to be remembered in tradition that young men who rather sought amusing than select society in their merry meetings used sometimes to request ratcliffe's company in order that he might regale them with legends of his extraordinary feats in the way of robbery and escape 
there seems an anachronism in the history of this person ratcliffe among other escapes from justice was released by the porteous mob when under sentence of death and he was again under the same predicament when the highlanders made a similar jail delivery in seventeen forty five he was too sincere a whig to embrace liberation at the hands of the jacobites and in reward was made one of the keepers of the tolbooth so at least runs constant tradition but he lived and died without resuming his original vocation otherwise than in his narratives over a bottle under these circumstances he had been recommended to sir george staunton by a man of the law in edinburgh as a person likely to answer any questions he might have to ask about anople belzu who according to the colour which sir george staunton gave to his cause of inquiry was supposed to have stolen a child in the west of england belonging to a family in which he was interested the gentleman had not mentioned his name but only his official title so that sir george staunton when told that the captain of the tolbooth was waiting for him in his parlour had no idea of meeting his former acquaintance jem ratcliffe this therefore was another new and most unpleasant surprise for he had no difficulty in recollecting this man's remarkable features the change however from george robertson to sir george staunton baffled even the penetration of ratcliffe and he bowed very low to the baronet and his guest hoping mr butler would excuse his recollecting that he was an old acquaintance and once rendered my wife a piece of great service said mr butler for which she sent you a token of grateful acknowledgment which i hope came safe and was welcome devil a doubt on it said ratcliffe with a knowing nod but ye are muckle changed for the better since i saw ye master butler so much so that i wonder you knew me aha then devil a face i see i ever forget said ratcliffe while sir george staunton tied to the stake and incapable of escaping internally cursed the accuracy of his memory and yet sometimes continued ratcliffe the sharpest hand will be taken in there is a face in this very room if i might presume to be so bold that if i didna ken the honourable person it belongs to i might think it had some cut of an old acquaintance i should not be much flattered answered the baronet sternly and roused by the risk in which he saw himself placed if it is to me you mean to apply that compliment by no manner of means sir said ratcliffe bowing very low i am come to receive your honour's commands and no to trouble your honour with my poor observations well sir said sir george i am told you understand police matters so do i to convince you of which here are ten guineas of retaining fee i make them fifty when you can find me certain notice of a person living or dead whom you will find described in that paper i shall leave town presently you may send your written answer to me at the care of mr 
naming his highly respectable agent or of his grace the lord high commissioner ratcliffe bowed and withdrew i have angered the proud pete now he said to himself by finding out a likeness but if george robertson's father had lived within a mile of his mother damn me if i should not know what to think for as high as he carries his head when he was left alone with butler sir george staunton ordered tea and coffee which were brought by his valet and then after considering with himself for a minute asked his guest whether he had lately heard from his wife and family butler with some surprise at the question replied that he had received no letter for some time his wife was a poor penwoman then said sir george staunton i am the first to inform you there has been an invasion of your quiet premises since you left home my wife whom the duke of argyle had the goodness to permit to use rosneth lodge while she was spending some weeks in your country has sallied across and taken up her quarters in the man's as she says to be nearer the goats whose milk she is using but i believe in reality because she prefers mrs butler's company to that of the respectable gentleman who acts as seneschal on the duke's domains mr butler said he had often heard the late duke and the present speak with high respect of lady staunton and was happy if his house could accommodate any friend of theirs it would be but a very slight acknowledgment of the many favours he owed them that does not make lady staunton and myself the less obliged to your hospitality sir said sir george may i inquire if you think of returning home soon in the course of two days mr butler answered his duty in the assembly would be ended and the other matters he had in town being all finished he was desirous of returning to dumbartonshire as soon as he could but he was under the necessity of transporting a considerable sum in bills and money with him and therefore wished to travel in company with one or two of his brethren of the clergy my escort will be more safe said sir george staunton and i think of setting off to-morrow or next day if you will give me the pleasure of your company i will undertake to deliver you and your charge safe at the manse provided you will admit me along with you mr butler gratefully accepted of this proposal the appointment was made accordingly and by dispatches with one of sir george's servants who was sent forward for the purpose the inhabitants of the manse of noctorlity were made acquainted with the intended journey and the news rung through the whole vicinity that the minister was coming back with a bra english gentleman and all the siller that was to pay for the estate of craigster 
this sudden resolution of going to noctorlidi had been adopted by sir george staunton in consequence of the incidents of the evening in spite of his present consequence he felt he had presumed too far in venturing so near the scene of his former audacious acts of violence and he knew too well from past experience the acuteness of a man like ratcliffe again to encounter him the next two days he kept his lodgings under pretence of indisposition and took leave by writing of his noble friend the high commissioner alleging the opportunity of mr butler's company as a reason for leaving edinburgh sooner than he had proposed he had a long conference with his agent on the subject of annapolis balzu and the professional gentleman who was the agent also of the argyle family had directions to collect all the information which ratcliffe or others might be able to obtain concerning the fate of that woman and the unfortunate child and so soon as anything transpired which had the least appearance of being important that he should send an express with it instantly to noctorlidi these instructions were backed with a deposit of money and a request that no expense might be spared so that sir george staunton had little reason to apprehend negligence on the part of the persons entrusted with the commission the journey which the brothers made in company was attended with more pleasure even to sir george staunton than he had ventured to expect his heart lightened in spite of himself when they lost sight of edinburgh and the easy sensible conversation of butler was well calculated to withdraw his thoughts from painful reflections he even began to think whether there could be much difficulty in removing his wife's connections to the rectory of willingham it was only on his part procuring some still better preferment for the present incumbent and on butler's that he should take orders according to the english church to which he could not conceive a possibility of his making objection and then he had them residing under his wing no doubt there was pain in seeing mrs butler acquainted as he knew her to be with the full truth of his evil history but then her silence though he had no reason to complain of her indiscretion hitherto was still more absolutely ensured it would keep his lady also both in good temper and in more subjection for she was sometimes troublesome to him by insisting on remaining in town when he desired to retire to the country alleging the total want of society at willingham madam your sister is there would he thought be a sufficient answer to this ready argument he sounded butler on this subject asking what he would think of an english living of twelve hundred pounds yearly with the burden of affording his company now and then to a neighbour 
whose health was not strong or his spirits equal he might meet he said occasionally a very learned and accomplished gentleman who was in orders as a catholic priest but he hoped there would be no insurmountable objection to a man of his liberality of sentiment what he said would mr butler think of as an answer if the offer should be made to him simply that i could not accept of it said mr butler i have no mind to enter into the various debates between the churches but i was brought up in mine own have received her ordination am satisfied of the truth of her doctrines and will die under the banner i have enlisted to what may be the value of your preferment said sir george staunton unless i am asking an indiscreet question probably one hundred a year one year with another besides my glebe and pasture ground and you scruple to exchange that for twelve hundred a year without alleging any damning difference of doctrine betwixt the two churches of england and scotland on that sir i have reserved my judgment there may be much good and there are certainly saving means in both but every man must act according to his own lights i hope i have done and am in the course of doing my master's work in this highland parish and it would ill become me for the sake of lucre to leave my sheep in the wilderness but even in the temporal view which you have taken of the matter sir george this hundred pounds a year of stipend hath fed and clothed us and left us nothing to wish for my father-in-law's succession and other circumstances have added a small estate of about twice as much more and how we are to dispose of it i do not know so i leave it to you sir to think if i were wise not having the wish or opportunity of spending three hundred a year to covet the possession of four times that sum this is philosophy said sir george i have heard of it but i never saw it before it is common sense replied butler which accords with philosophy and religion more frequently than pedants or zealots are apt to admit sir george turned the subject and did not again resume it although they travelled in sir george's chariot he seemed so much fatigued with the motion that it was necessary for him to remain for a day at a small town called mid calder which was their first stage from edinburgh glasgow occupied another day so slow were their motions they travelled on to dumbarton where they had resolved to leave the equipage and to hire a boat to take them to the shores near the manse as the gare lock lay betwixt them and that point besides the impossibility of travelling in that district with wheel carriages sir george's valet a man of trust accompanied them as also a footman the grooms were left with the carriage just as this arrangement was completed 
which was about four o'clock in the afternoon an express arrived from sir george's agent in edinburgh with a packet which he opened and read with great attention appearing much interested and agitated by the contents the packet had been dispatched very soon after their leaving edinburgh but the messenger had missed the travellers by passing through mid calder in the night and overshot his errand by getting to rosineth before them he was now on his return after having waited more than four-and-twenty hours sir george staunton instantly wrote back an answer and rewarding the messenger liberally desired him not to sleep till he placed it in his agent's hands at length they embarked in the boat which had waited for them some time during their voyage which was slow for they were obliged to row the whole way and often against the tide sir george staunton's inquiries ran chiefly on the subject of the highland banditti who had infested that country since the year seventeen forty five butler informed him that many of them were not native highlanders but gypsies tinkers and other men of desperate fortunes who had taken advantage of the confusion introduced by the civil war the general discontent of the mountaineers and the unsettled state of police to practise their plundering trade with more audacity sir george next inquired into their lives their habits whether the violences which they committed were not sometimes atoned for by acts of generosity and whether they did not possess the virtues as well as the vices of savage tribes butler answered that certainly they did sometimes show sparks of generosity of which even the worst class of malefactors are seldom utterly divested but that their evil propensities were certain and regular principles of action while any occasional burst of virtuous feeling was only a transient impulse not to be reckoned upon and excited probably by some singular and unusual concatenation of circumstances in discussing these inquiries which sir george pursued with an apparent eagerness that rather surprised butler the latter chanced to mention the name of donicha du nadane with which the reader is already acquainted sir george caught the sound up eagerly and as if it conveyed particular interest to his ear he made the most minute inquiries concerning the man whom he mentioned the number of his gang and even the appearance of those who belonged to it upon these points butler could give little answer the man had a name among the lower class but his exploits were considerably exaggerated he had always one or two fellows with him but never aspired to the command of above three or four in short he knew little about him and the small acquaintance he had had by no means inclined him to desire more nevertheless i should like to see him some of these days 
that would be a dangerous meeting sir george unless you mean we are to see him receive his deserts from the law and then it were a melancholy one use every man according to his deserts mr butler and who shall escape whipping but i am talking riddles to you i will explain them more fully to you when i have spoken over the subject with lady staunton pull away my lads he added addressing himself to the rowers the clouds threaten us with a storm in fact the dead and heavy closeness of the air the huge piles of clouds which assembled in the western horizon and glowed like a furnace under the influence of the setting sun that awful stillness in which nature seems to expect the thunderburst as a condemned soldier waits for the platoon fire which is to stretch him on the earth all betokened a speedy storm large broad drops fell from time to time and induced the gentlemen to assume the boat cloaks but the rain again ceased and the oppressive heat so unusual in scotland in the end of may inclined them to throw them aside there is something solemn in this delay of the storm said sir george it seems as if it suspended its peal till it solemnized some important event in the world below alas replied butler what are we that the laws of nature should correspond in their march with our ephemeral deeds or sufferings the clouds will burst when surcharged with the electric fluid whether a goat is falling at that instant from the cliffs of erin or a hero expiring on the field of battle he has won the mind delights to deem it otherwise said sir george staunton and to dwell on the fate of humanity as on that which is the prime central movement of the mighty machine we love not to think that we shall mix with the ages that have gone before us as these broad black raindrops mingle with the waste of waters making a trifling and momentary eddy and are then lost for ever for ever we are not we cannot be lost for ever said butler looking upward death is to us change not consummation and the commencement of a new existence corresponding in character to the deeds which we have done in the body while they agitated these grave subjects to which the solemnity of the approaching storm naturally led them their voyage threatened to be more tedious than they expected for gusts of wind which rose and fell with sudden impetuosity swept the bosom of the firth and impeded the efforts of the rowers they had now only to double a small headland in order to get to the proper landing-place in the mouth of the little river but in the state of the weather and the boat being heavy this was like to be a work of time and in the meanwhile they must necessarily be exposed to the storm could we not land on this side of the headland asked sir george and so gain some shelter butler knew of no landing-place 
at least none affording a convenient or even practicable passage up the rocks which surrounded the shore think again said sir george staunton the storm will soon be violent howd ay said one of the boatmen there's the caird's cove but we dinna tell the minister about it and i am no sure if i can steer the boat to it the bay is so far of shoals and sunk rocks try said sir george and i will give you half a guinea the old fellow took the helm and observed that if they could get in there was a steep path up from the beach and half an hour's walk from thence to the man's are you sure you know the way said butler to the old man i may be candid a wee better fifteen years since when dandy wilson was in the firth with his clean ganging lugger i mind dandy had a wild young englisher with him that they called if you chatter so much said sir george staunton you will have the boat on the grindstone bring that white rock in a line with the steeple by god said the veteran staring i think your honour kens the bay as well as me your honour's nose has been on the grindstone ere now i'm thinking as they spoke thus they approached the little cove which concealed behind crags and defended on every point by shallows and sunken rocks could scarce be discovered or approached except by those intimate with the navigation an old shattered boat was already drawn up on the beach within the cove close beneath the trees and with precautions for concealment upon observing this vessel butler remarked to his companion it is impossible for you to conceive sir george the difficulty i have had with my poor people in teaching them the guilt and the danger of this contraband trade yet they have perpetually before their eyes all its dangerous consequences i do not know anything that more effectually depraves and ruins their moral and religious principles sir george forced himself to say something in a low voice about the spirit of adventure natural to youth and that unquestionably many would become wiser as they grew older too seldom sir replied butler if they have been deeply engaged and especially if they have mingled in the scenes of violence and blood to which their occupation naturally leads i have observed that sooner or later they come to an evil end experience as well as scripture teaches us sir george that mischief shall hunt the violent man and that the bloodthirsty man shall not live half his days but take my arm to help you ashore sir george needed assistance for he was contrasting in his altered thought the different feelings of mind and frame with which he had formerly frequented the same place as they landed a low growl of thunder was heard at a distance that is ominous mr butler said sir george into newit laevum it is ominous of good then answered butler smiling the boatmen were ordered to make the best of their way round the headland 
to the ordinary landing-place the two gentlemen followed by their servant sought their way by a blind and tangled path through a close copsewood to the manse of noctrilidy where their arrival was anxiously expected the sisters in vain had expected their husband's return on the preceding day which was that appointed by sir george's letter the delay of the travellers at calder had occasioned this breach of appointment the inhabitants of the manse began even to doubt whether they would arrive on the present day lady staunton felt this hope of delay as a brief reprieve for she dreaded the pangs which her husband's pride must undergo at meeting with a sister-in-law to whom the whole of his unhappy and dishonourable history were too well known she knew whatever force or constraint he might put upon his feelings in public that she herself must be doomed to see them display themselves in full vehemence in secret consume his health destroy his temper and render him at once an object of dread and compassion again and again she cautioned jeanie to display no tokens of recognition but to receive him as a perfect stranger and again and again jeanie renewed her promise to comply with her wishes jeanie herself could not fail to bestow an anxious thought on the awkwardness of the approaching meeting but her conscience was ungalled and then she was cumbered with many household cares of an unusual nature which joined to the anxious wish once more to see butler after the absence of unusual length made her extremely desirous that the travellers should arrive as soon as possible and why should i disguise the truth ever and anon a thought stole across her mind that her gala dinner had now been postponed for two days and how few of the dishes after every art of her simple cuisine had been exerted to dress them could with any credit or propriety appear again upon the third and what was she to do with the rest upon this last subject she was saved the trouble of farther deliberation by the sudden appearance of the captain at the head of half a dozen stout fellows dressed and armed in the highland fashion good morrow morning to ye letty staunton and i hope i have the pleasure to see you well and good morrow to you good mrs putler i do peg you will order some victuals and ale and prandy for the lads for we have pin out on firth and moor since afore daylight and all to no purpose neither cot tam so saying he sat down pushed back his brigadier wig and wiped his head with an air of easy importance totally regardless of the look of well-bred astonishment by which lady staunton endeavoured to make him comprehend that he was assuming too great a liberty it is some comfort when one has had a sore tussle continued the captain addressing lady staunton with an air of gallantry that it is in a fair lady's service or in the service of a gentleman 
whilk has a fair lady whilk is the same thing since serving the husband is serving the wife as mrs putler does very well know really sir said lady staunton as you seem to intend this compliment for me i am at a loss to know what interest sir george or i can have in your movements this morning oh cot tam this is too cruel my leddy as if it was not pie special express from his grace's honourable agent and commissioner at edinburgh with a warrant conform that i was to seek for and apprehend donicha du nadane and bring him before myself and sir george staunton that he may have his deserts that is to say the gallows whilk he has doubtless deserved by being the means of frightening your ladyship as well as for something of less importance frightening me said her ladyship why i never wrote to sir george about my alarm at the waterfall then he must have heard it otherwise for what else can give him sick and earnest desire to see this rapscallion that i mun ripe the whole mosses and moors in the country for him as if i were to get something for finding him when the pest of it might be a pall through my prains can it really be true that it is on sir george's account that you have been attempting to apprehend this fellow picot it is for no other cause that i know than his honour's pleasure for the creature might have gone on in a decent quiet way for me so long as he respected the duke's pounds but reason good he should be taken and hang it to poot if it may pleasure any honourable gentleman that is the duke's friend so i got the express overnight and i caused warn half a score of pretty lads and was up in the morning before the sun and i gared the lads take their kilts and short coats i wonder you did that captain said mrs butler when you know the act of parliament against wearing the highland dress how tout never fash your thumb mrs putler the law is but twa three years old yet and is over young to have come our length and besides how is the lads to climb the praise with the tamed breekens on them it makes me sick to see them but anyhow i thought i kenned donicha's haunt gay and well and i was at the place where he had rested yestreen for i saw the leaves the limmers had lain on and the ashes of them by the same token there was a pit greeshock purning yet i am thinking they got some word out of the island what was intended i sought every glen and clench as if i had been deer-stalking but till a want of his coat-tail could i see caught tam he'll be away down the firth to cowl said david and reuben who had been out early that morning a nutting observed that he had seen a boat making for the caird's cove a place well known to the boys though their less adventurous father was ignorant of its existence pie caught said duncan 
then i will stay here no longer than to drink this very horn of brandy and water for it's very possible they will pee in the wood donitch's a clever fellow and maybe thinks it past to sit next the chimley when the lum reeks he thought nobody would look for him so near hand i pag your ladyship will excuse my abrupt departure as i will return forthwith and i will either bring you donachaw in life or else his head whilk i dare to say will be as satisfactory and i hope to pass a pleasant evening with your ladyship and i hope to have mine revenges on mr putler at backgammon for the four pennies whilk he won for he will be surely at home soon or else he will have a wet journey seeing it is about to be a scud thus saying with many scrapes and bows and apologies for leaving them which were very readily received and reiterated assurances of his speedy return of the sincerity whereof mrs butler entertained no doubt so long as her best greybeard of brandy was upon duty duncan left the manse collected his followers and began to scour the close and entangled wood which lay between the little glen and the caird's cove david who was a favourite with the captain on account of his spirit and courage took the opportunity of escaping to attend the investigations of that great man End of chapter twenty seventh